you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of uh, pick up where we've been talking about this weekend. We've been talking about a mission. And I want to talk to you. Here's my title, Fulfilling Your Mission. Fulfilling Your Mission. And with that, I have a question for you. Think about and ponder. Where do you think we are in time? Where do you think we are? You know, Trudy talked about in the uh, seminar that we just did that, that there's this big timeline that, that began when the world was created with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? And time began, you know, God lives out of time. There's no time with Him. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything because he's God. We can't understand that because we're such time. You know, everything's about time. Everything's like we get up and time and we go to work and, and we thank, thank God we got an extra hour of sleep. And that's exciting now, but in the spring, we, they take it away from us. I wish they'd just leave it alone, but that's beside the point. <laughs> the point is that, but that there was a beginning, but there's going to be an end. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that things are going to change. Jesus came the first time, but he is coming back. And when he does, this thing called time is going to end and everything is going to be different. So the question is, where are we in time? On this timeline that began in the Garden of Eden. And we read in the Bible that we can know some, some signs, if you will, that when we're getting close to the end of time, because God wants us to know particular things. Now, you can't know the day and the hour, the Scripture says, that Jesus is coming back, but I think you can know the season. And I think if we know the season, because we're creatures of time, it will help us with the urgency of the hour, because there's an urgency right now. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Where are we in time? Well, I want you to turn to the book of First Chronicles chapter 12. And let's look at verse 32, and there's a principle, kind of like, you know, there's, there's di- different clues. And I love the Word of God because it's like a book of clues and keys, and, and there'll be things that are hidden. And, and, and the Word is not hidden from us, but it's hidden for us, and, uh, and, and us being those that will dig into it and, and, and dig into God and want to understand more about God. Does that make sense? So uh, there's, a, there's a clue here, First Chronicles 12, 32, about time. This is in the days of King David. And it says this, Of the sons of Issachar, that's one of the 12 tribes, said, Who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. That's King James. Let me tell you what this is talking about. There were, there's this tribe called Issachar, and there were 200 Bible scholars that their job was to study the Bible to try to figure out what times we were living in. That's what it says here, that they may understand the times. And that was their job, to just become, why? Because it's important to understand the times. It's important to understand uh, what's, what's going on, because things are changing rapidly. We're living in a time of rapid change. You know, things are so different than when I was born and I was a little kid and and let's talk about some of that. But but let's look at, there's a couple of clues here, another clue. Go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 4. Because understanding the times, if you're taking notes, write this down. Understanding the times helps us define our mission. 
Understanding the times helps us define our mission. In Daniel 12, verse 4, Daniel had a, a vision of the end of time. And Daniel had a, had a revelation of what would, be, what would be going on at the very end of the, when Messiah would return. I'll say it that way. And uh, Daniel's revelation matches the book of Revelation with the revelation that God gave to John about the end of times. So uh, Daniel, after he had this vision, uh, the angel declares this to him. Daniel 12, 4. Is everybody there? Everybody trucking with me? Everybody wave at me if you're with me. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Here we go. Daniel 12, 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. The time of the end is what we're talking about. And here's two clues. Many shall run to and fro. That's one. And knowledge shall increase. So what does that mean? Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Number one, there'll be a great increase of knowledge in the end time. I'm going to deal with the last one first. That's what it says here. Think about what's going on in the last 25 years. Well, let's go back even further. When I was a senior in high school, I remember when I graduated. I graduated in 1969. I had my 50th year class reunion this year. That was so weird. See, all these guys, you know, last time I saw uh, a lot of them was when we were getting out of high school. And they really got old. And thank God I didn't do that. But, uh, no, just that 50 years, that's a long time, right? Uh, But I remember uh, on our senior trip, I saw a computer. And this sounds crazy, but the computer was like as big as this room. And it was like the latest technology and everybody's excited about it. And this computer would compute things. And it was supposed to be so fast. And listen, that was 1969. Today, as we sit here this morning, the phone, a lot of you are looking at your phones. Your phone has more power than that room-sized computer. Man, things have changed, haven't they? And they continue to change. What that phone will do is amazing. I was at a, you know, I'm older and I, I have to work on this. Seems like young people just pick it up. So I'm at a football game with my grandson Gus last year. And uh, we went to see University of Oklahoma play. So you have to, uh, there's not like a big parking lot. You park it, you, you have to park in neighborhoods around the stadium. So it, we parked in this, you know, somebody rents out part of their yard and you park there. But then we've got to walk up to the stadium. And so I'm, I'm looking down the street and I'm telling Gus, who's 10, I said, Gus, I, I got I to get my bearings here because we're going to have to find our way back here. And he said, Papa, just pin it. And I said, what? what? He said, just pin it. Don't give me your phone. He's 10. Drop a pin. That's what he said. Drop a pin. So he goes, he said, okay, we're good, Papa. When we come back, we'll find it. And I said, what did you do? Well, later on, we, you know, went to the pen, and it directed us right back to our car. And I didn't even know you could do that. But it just continues to change. You know, you talk to your phone and say, oh, you got to be careful here if anybody's phone's on. Hey, you say, hey, Siri. Every, everybody in the room, will phone, their phone will turn on if I'm not careful. But it's just, you know, I, I've learned, I, you, you get familiar with those things. What's go, how much, how far is that going to go? I don't know, but it's amazing. We are living in a time of explosion of technology. And that's a, knowledge shall increase. We are observing that. Wow. Number two, many shall run to and fro. What does that mean? That's talking about travel. I think I said this in the seminar, but I'll say it again. Did you know for like the first 
from the time of Adam to around 1900, the fastest and best way to get around was on the back of a horse. But now look, in 100 plus years, 125 years from 1900, what's happened with cars and, and vehicles and gas motors and then airplanes and, and it continues to explode. Every time I fly now, every airplane I get on is just full of people. And it's like that all over the world. And people are running to and fro. You can get to another part of the world in pretty much 24 hours on the airlines. I have been around the world. I was, I'm a country boy. I was raised on a farm in West Texas. I never even flew on an airplane until I was 30. My first, my first flight. Golly, it was awesome, you know. But now, and this is part of my ministry, but I have over 3 million miles on American Airlines alone. And men are running to and fro. These are two big signs. We are approaching the end, my friends. And, and uh, you know, population growth is another thing. I touched on this the other day. I have notes on it this morning. Do you know there were never more than 1 billion people living on the planet Earth until sometime around 1804, they tell us. And then in 1927, 123 years later, we, now we have 2 billion, so the population on the planet has doubled in 123 years. Then in 1960, what's that, 47 years later, we have 3 billion. In October 2011, we went over 7 billion people on the planet. Uh, they tell us by 2024 to 2030, we'll have 8 billion. By 2035, we'll have 9 billion people. Go, go Google this. Look at the world population clock. And there's a clock that's just turning all the time and, and increasing in the population. And it's amazing. People are being born like that all around the world. Well, this makes sense to me that the reason God created, God created the world. Do you know that? That wasn't science or Big Bang. That was God. <laughs> and he did it because he wanted people because he wanted a family. And it just makes sense to me that God's going to come back and change everything when there's the most people living. I believe even time is being delayed because God wants people to accept Him and receive Him and believe that Jesus Christ is His Son and the only way to get back to Him is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I believe God's holding out as long as He can, but there's coming a time it's going to end. So I believe that's where we are in time. Don't you believe that? I believe we, we're close to the end. Now remember, understanding the times help you, helps you define your mission. And I believe right now we're entering the time like never before of the maturing of the church. Of, of us, that's us. I'm, I'm talking to us in the church this morning. Of us uh, accomplishing our great work. And I believe that things are going to close much like they began even bigger. Here's what I mean by that. I don't believe that things are going to get so dark. You do know the world's getting darker, right? But I don't believe it's going to get so dark that the church, that's us, we're going to be hiding out in a corner having meetings, be underground. You know, we have to, or, or we're going to get uh, killed because, you know, it's so dark. I don't believe that. I believe there's going to be a big ending of the church. I believe we're going to end like we started. You know, there's a principle in the Bible called a circle. I'll show this to you. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. There's a circle. You know, a circle starts right here. You're turning to Ecclesiastes when you get there. Ecclesiastes 1, 
That's like you go to, uh, you know, uh, Psalms and Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes is next, right? But did you find it yet? Everybody look at me if you've been it. Okay, it's like, it's like everything begins. Let, let's, let's make a point right here. And then life is like this circle. But a circle starts over here, but it always comes back to where it began or it's not a circle. Only God moves in circles. Ecclesiastes 1.9 in the New Living. I love the way this reads. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Solomon writes this. There's nothing under the sun is truly new. You know, that's the way, that's the way we are as human beings. We began from the dust of the ground. We, we, our bodies made out of dirt. That began with Adam. Now, women have babies and they're not dirt, but Adam was. <laughs> and we're all a descendant from this man named Adam. We have Adam's DNA. Wow, isn't that amazing? But there's coming a day that your body, you're going to leave your body because your body is not the real you. The real you is your spirit and your mind. And, but you have to have a body to live on the earth. But if Jesus delays, your body's going down. You're going to die. It's a fact of life. And you're going to go back to the dirt. It's like a circle. That's where it began. That's where it's going to go back. God moves in circles. God began the world with a marriage. He's going to end the world with a marriage. Supper of the Lamb. God's the God of the circle. Everybody say circle. So I believe the way the church began. We're having church this morning. And we're talking about our mission as the church. I believe that the way things began in the church is the way they're going to end. So go to Acts chapter 2 right now. We're, we're looking at a few scriptures. You okay with this? Everybody, everybody flowing with me? So how did the church begin? Well, you know, Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead. Then he appeared to his disciples. And there was a day that he told them, or he, came, he appeared to them in, the, in, the, in, in a room where they were kind of hiding out. And he told them about himself. He showed them his body to, so that they would totally understand that this was the Jesus that we knew. And he's back. He was raised from the dead. He defeated death. And then the Bible said he breathed on them, remember, and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And the disciples were born again. And these 11 guys, there was 12, they lost one. These 11 guys were the foundation, the first uh, phase, if you will, of the church. God chose these 11 guys and they weren't perfect. Isn't that good news? Because we're not either. God works through imperfect people. But God has these, Jesus has these 11 guys and he says, Now I want you to take, take what I've taught you. Tell the story of me, the gospel's good news, and I want you to tell, go to the end of the whole world and preach the gospel, right? But then he said, but, but wait a minute, you're not ready yet. Now you're saved, but before you go, you need to be filled with the Spirit. So here's what I want you to do. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father that I've told you about. For you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you, right? You remember that scripture? So here they are, the disciples, and there's 120 people, and then there's a place called the upper room. Uh, we've been to Israel, and we've been to that, that uh, it's not the same building now, it's been, a, a new building's been built there, but the upper room still exists, the, the ground where this happened. And these guys are praying, and they're seeking God, and they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit comes. You know this story? 
And these guys are all praying, and the Holy Spirit comes in in this great glory. There's, there's like the glory of God. To, scripture says tongues of fire. And, uh, and they all begin to speak in these lang- languages. And, uh, and they were languages that were real languages, but not everybody could understand them. And this was during the Feast of Pentecost. When all these people had come into Jerusalem and, uh, and they were required, if you were a believer in, in, uh, Judaism, you had to come to, to, uh, to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So there's people from everywhere, Egypt, Cappadocia, all these different regions and nations of the world, and they're in Israel, and this happened on Main Street in Jerusalem, and this happens. But there's a lot of confusion. Because these people are speaking languages, and some people say, I understand that, but what's this guy talking? And then somebody says, this is crazy. It's kind of confusing. And then another guy says, I know what's going on here. These guys are drunk. It's so crazy, they're just drunk. And somebody else says, no, that's not true. They're not drunk. In fact, Peter then gets anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he began, he gets up and begins to preach about what just happened. I believe he had a revelation at the moment. And let's look at what he said. Look in Acts 2, 15. Acts 2.15, I'm going to read from the New Living. We're talking about the circle. Everybody with me? Peter says, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. Verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He got a revelation from the Bible about what's going on. And he quotes it. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Everybody say all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Here's what I want to talk about this morning. The outpouring of the spirit began that day with a blaze of glory. Peter preached this message, told people what was going on, and he preached a message so powerful, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. So it's day one of the church, right? And we've already got 3,120 people in the church. There was an explosion in Jerusalem of the church. That's the way it began, with the power of God, with these guys are speaking in languages. And I believe the church is going to end like it began. But we got more people now, so it's going to be even bigger. Because God wants to reach all 7, 8, 9 billion if we get there, right? All these people that are going to be born. God wants to reach them all. But here's what He says here. He's talking about this is going to be generational. Not only will it be powerful, but it's going to be for everybody. And it talks about the different age groups. That's what I want to talk to you about. The different age groups. It says in verse 21, But everyone who calls on the name uh, of the Lord will be saved. This is a time of people coming to Jesus like never before. A massive move of God. And every age group is included. Let me break it down for you. There's basically three age groups. Number one, it talks about your old men shall dream dreams. I like that. It begins with old people. God wants to use old people in the end times. That's encouraging to me because I'm getting older and I'm not done yet. God wants to use me. You know, let's talk about older people for a minute. I think older people, just between you and me, I think they're cooler than they've ever been. Have you noticed that? You know, when I was young, or uh, uh, when I was a little kid, our, our relatives would come, like we lived in the panhandle of Texas. I had a bunch of relatives on my mom's side from East Texas. And her family was, they were, I loved her family. They were all loud and 
And we'd visit and talk, and it was a lot of fun. But I remember all the all her aunts and uncles on my on my grandpa's side. They it's just kind of like back in the '60s. They just tried to look old. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like they they had granny hairdos, granny glass, big dresses. The women back in those days wore these big shoes that were what were those, honey? Old women's shoes. They looked like orthopedic shoes. Yeah. And we'd sit around in the summertime. We didn't have air conditioning. We're sitting around after dinner or something. And I had an Aunt Bess. I can see her right now. And she was just like that. And Aunt Bess had a green bean can. And Aunt Bess was a snuff dipper. And she'd talk a little bit. She had brown things in her teeth. And she'd talk a bit. And then she'd spit in that can. And I'm, you know, I'm a little kid, six, eight years old. And I'm going, eh, I don't want to see what's in that can. Ugh. And I, you kind of got the idea that people, did, it's like they tried to be old. Listen, old people today are cooler. They are. Did you know? Let me give you some stats. This is true. People live longer today than they used to. Uh, The average age of being a first-time grandparent today is 47 years old. That's pretty young. And today's grandparents are healthier. They're more street smart. They're more computer smart. They have iPhones and iPads. I have one. I got an iPad. Uh, iPhone. Uh, they drink lattes. I had one this morning. Uh, and this is, this is my favorite. They're more sexually active than previous generations. <laughs> See, God wants to use older, older people, but here's the thing. We have to honor the different chapters and you have to realize as an older person, you're still cool, but you are older. And, and you have to be willing to step into your oldness. <laughs> Never said that before. <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. You're going to have different chapters in your life. And you're not going to always do the same thing, be the same way. You know, like there was a day when I got into a dog costume. And I, and, and Pastor mentioned it. I, I, I dressed up like a cowboy. That was my ministry. I was younger. And I, I, it took more energy to do that. And I would do these dog, cost, uh, dog skits and gospel bill. And I was Nicodemus, and I would come out and lead the kids in worship in a service. But then i go behind the stage and put on a dog suit. You ever been in a dog suit? It's very exciting. It means hot. And I'd come out, and in this dog, I had to really be energetic. And I'd come out and shake my tail and... And Gospel Bill would say, boys and girls, this is my friend Bark Emmaus. Now, Bark Emmaus was his name, not Bart Emmaus. We wanted to give him a Bible name, so, but we called him Bark Emmaus because he's a dog. He said, Bark Emmaus speaks in German, shepherd. So I, he's going to bark, and I'm going to interpret what he says. So Bark Emmaus would come out, and he'd go, Bark Emmaus says, one morning he woke up in his doghouse, and he had an itch on his leg. So he scratched it. Then he had itch on his other leg. And it was really itchy. What's that? Oh, you had little hairs were falling out. And pretty soon it's like he had it everywhere. Well, what did you do, Barkamas? He said he went to the doctor. What did the doctor say? He said, Barkamas says the doctor examined him. He said, Barkamas, I have some sad news for you. What is it? Barkamas said, the doctor said, Barkamas, you have the mange. 
Oh, the mange is bad if you... Bartimaeus says the mange is bad if you're a dog. So what did you do, Bartimaeus? You got really scared at first. Because dogs can't even die from the mange. And you weren't ready to go to heaven. But then you remember something. What is it? He remembered a scripture. What is that scripture? First Peter 2.24. What does that say, Bartimaeus? With his stripes you were healed. That's talking about Jesus paid the price for your healing. So what did you do? You prayed. Lord, I'm asking you. In the name of Jesus to heal my mange. I believe I receive it right now. In Jesus' name, amen. That's great, Bartimaeus. That's what you do. Stand on the word. So what happened? Did it leave right away? No, it didn't leave. Still itching right there. Itching right there. Went on. How long did it go? Two weeks. You're standing on the word. But one morning you woke up. You looked at your leg. And it didn't itch anymore. And there was, what did you say? A little bitty hair going back. You looked on the other leg. Little bitty hair going back. All over your body. Little bitty hair going back. You didn't itch anymore. Jesus healed him. Come on, boys and girls. Give the Lord a hand. The Word of God's true. And we would do that. But I don't do that anymore. Because it takes a lot of energy to do that. And I'm older. And I did that. And it was great. But here's what I'm saying. I had to be willing to graduate and move on. And then there's another phase. There's different phases. And you have to honor that as you get older. Uh, and if, you, if you're going to fulfill your purpose, you have to understand that you, part of your purpose as an older person is to influence the next generation. But you won't have the influence that you want if you're grumpy. You ought to write that down. <laughs> Nobody wants to be around a grumpy old dude that's always saying, well, that's not the way we did it in our day. We did it totally different. Yeah, we did. And here's the thing. Styles change. But styles aren't holy. The Word of God is holy. The Word of God never changes. But styles constantly change. The way people dress changes all the time. I don't dress the way I did, you know, years ago. We used to wear suits to church all the time. That was great. That was good. But there wasn't anything holy about it. It was just a style. Styles of music change. You know, there was a different kind of music when I was a kid. And I did music. I remember when in our church, when I brought in some of the ideas of my generation that were different than the previous generation, I remember catching flack about it. This is a while back, and our music was too loud. And you guys are too rocking. And God can't anoint that rocking music like that. And you, they think we were rocking then. What about today? It's different. It continue, it'll change again. And if you want to have influence, you have to... Here's what you got to learn. What is, what is a biblical thing that I'm going to stand strong for? Because the Bible never changes. That principle about healing, Jesus paying the price for our healing, that never changes. The principle about being filled with the Holy Spirit, how we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that never changes. Those things never change. But styles change 
And if we're going to have influence, am I helping anybody? We're going to have to roll with the styles. Methods continually change, but not the Word of God. You know, as an older person, I have a scripture. I have a bracelet on my arm this morning. Let me pull it out here. This is one of Trudy's bracelets. She's got some men's bracelets back there. And then a bunch of ladies. But here's what these bracelets are for. They're promise bracelets. It's not just that they're pretty, but they're for you to, to get one and find a promise that you're believing God for. And every time you look at your bracelet, you remember it. And here's my promise that I'm believing God for. Psalm 71, verse 17. O Lord, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now, when I am old and gray-headed, that's where I am, forsake me not until I declare your strength to this generation. That's my influence. Your power to everyone who is to come. That's talking about the connection of the, of the, of the different generations. You know, we're in a church in Oklahoma City. And my son is the pastor. And the pastor means he's the, bo- he's the boss. It's his vision. Now, I've got a lot of ideas. And I've been around a long time. And I'm smart. You can tell by looking at me. <laughs> this is one of the things about hanging around a while. You learn some things. And yet... I, I'm not always right. I'll say that. I'll throw that in. But I want to influence. I want to be an influence there. And I'm received. But in order to be received, I'm going to have to. I just can't come blowing in there and, and boss people around because I'm older. And you better respect me because I'm older. That doesn't work. No. We want to have influence, which means there's a connection we have to honor. We have to honor that next generation. You have to be nice to them. You have to let them know you care about them. Because God wants to use older people, but you got to understand your boundaries. Number two, God wants to use young men. It says old men will dream dreams, but then young men will have vision. Young men will have vision. This is talking to, it goes on and says servants, men and women alike. It said they will see vision. There are young leaders arising in our time with new vision. And they got a different way of doing it. And in many ways, it's better. (laughs) Because I believe God's always progressive. But it's different. And every generation is going to be, is going to do it differently. Everything's going to change. But then young people don't forget the old dudes. Here's why we need these two generations. Just a couple of quick things. Older people have the wisdom and the money. (laughs) Just a fact, young people don't have that much money. They're, you know, getting their family going, buying a house and all that kind of thing. So they need, they need that from older people. But then young people have the energy and the vision, new ideas. Uh, and it's important that we connect the generation. But back to old people again. If we're going to uh, connect with those young people, uh, it's up to us to do it. I'll say it that way. It's up, to, it, it's up to the old people to take the first step. Go to Malachi and I'll show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you scripture for all this. Is everybody trucking with me? This last day's outpouring is going to be big. It's going to be wonderful and exciting. Full circle. It's going to end big. But God's going to use every generation. And Malachi 4, 5 says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. This is talking about prophetically of Jesus coming the first time. And Elijah the prophet was actually a picture of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist preceded Jesus. And John the Baptist's 
vision was, hey, everybody, something's coming. Coming a big change. Get ready, get ready. It's not me. I'm not the one. But there is coming one after me whose shoe I am not worthy to latch. He is the Son of God, and He's going to do something totally different. Isn't that what happened? But look at the message He preached. And He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Interesting. And the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Notice it begins with the hearts of older people connecting with the children. And then when they do, then the young people will look to us. I look around this church. This church is changing. And that's a good thing. Because I see a lot of young people. And we need young people. We need that excitement and energy. And we need to bring them in. One of the joys of my life right now is I'm surrounded by young people that I mentor. And I'm over our family ministry in our church. So we, Trudy and I, uh, we're over all the marriage ministry and the counseling and helping young people with their marriages and old people too. But also, uh, uh, I, I mentor young men. And I'm over all the children's ministers. And I, I, I share my wisdom, and I, but I get their ideas. And, but I'm the one that has to lead that because I'm older. Older people are sp- supposed to be the mature ones. All right? So there's the, there's the young men. There's the old men. And honey, come up here. I want you to talk about what you're going to talk about. Sorry, I nearly flew on by. Praise God. I think, you know, one of the things we've got to watch as, as the church matures is finding your place in the decade that you're in. And it's going to be changed each decade. Uh, we were in Israel a few years ago, and um, we were at, what was that place called where David hid from Saul? Uh, in Gedi. We're at in Gedi. And it's a big mountain, and it's just a bare mountain. It's just like rock. And they have these deer. It's a type of a deer called ibex. And uh, they're the most beautiful animals you've ever seen. But these ibex, the, the guy that was with us, he was pointing it out, the different age groups. Down at the bottom of the mountain, there's these little bitty ones, little tiny ones. And they have little horns that are about that big. And they're just running and playing, and they're jumping, and, and you know, like little kids would do. But every once in a while, two of them would go butt heads. And then you, up a little bit higher on the mountain, you saw uh, bigger ibex. And their horns were, and, you know, they were a lot bigger. And uh, these, aren't, these aren't jumping and playing. They are locking horns. I mean, they're battling. They're, you know, I'm the best. No, I'm the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. He says, that's the teenagers right there in the, the middle-aged group. They're always butting heads, you know, because they got that energy and that zeal, you know. But then he said, look at the top of the mountain. And up on the top of the mountain, there's this um, ibex, and it's got big horns. And it's real stately looking. It's just standing there, not doing anything. Just kind of looking down like, okay. He said, that's the, that's the head dude up there, you know, that's the wise one. But he didn't have to run around butt heads. He just is. He's mature. And he's watching over all these other little generations. And I think, you know, one of the things that we have to be mature in as, as the church grows, we have different facets of our life. And you have to look at what's, what can I do now 
with what I have that no one else can do for the church? What can I do now? You know, I'm not trying at this at this place in my age in my life and Ken too. We're not trying to build anything at all. We've done a lot of work. We've laid a lot of groundwork and a lot of investment. And now we've got a son, and he has, has, is pastoring. And they, we are there now with the wisdom and the support to let them rock back on us if they need to. But we're just there to let them know, yeah, we're here. We're like the ibex on the top of the mountain. Yeah, go. You can do this. You can make it. See, I'm not a, we're not all about us anymore. We're about what God's doing right now. And, um, you know, in, the, in, in that scripture in Joel, it's funny because most people, when they think about the Holy Spirit infusing you, uh, they, they would read the scripture like this. And in the last days when God pulled out, uh, poured out his spirit on all flesh, they would run, jump, dance, and scream. <laughs> it didn't say that, does it? It says, old men will have dreams. Dreams. What did the Holy Spirit bring back to us that we could dream again? The young men will have vision, and the kids will begin to prophesy. What are the kids going to prophesy? They're going to prophesy the, vision, the dream of, of the old people, the vision of, the, of the, the young ones that are leading. They're going to begin to pick up on that, and they're going to begin to say that. That's what will be coming out of their mouth. Because it's not all about any one class. It's about a group of people doing God's work. And finding your place at this moment in time. And one of the things that we can do as older people, or you should be doing, is, and I've seen this. I've seen people in the church that are older, and they are just jealous. They're jealous of the young people. And they won't let go because I'm better. I know more. No, you don't. The anointing is on the whole package. And God's going to flow through these young leaders. Really, I'm telling you, there's some young lions coming up that God has got for this culture and this time because we're facing something different we've ever faced in our lives. And they need someone like us behind them that has fought battles and, and has some wisdom to stand with them and keep them going. And what, what you're actually doing through your whole life is you've got this baton that you were given for your time on the earth. And you're slowly passing that baton. That's the whole point. You lived a life for Jesus. You lived a life for the kingdom. And you have this baton, but now the race, your race is narrowing. They're coming up. And you're wanting to make sure that they get that baton. And Ken could tell this better than I am, but one of the most important points in a race is the passing of the baton. It's very fragile, and, and it has to be done right. And you have to. And he can tell you more about that. But there was uh, I, I read about a man. He had a dream. His ministry had a dream, and his whole heart was about mentoring and passing the baton. And making sure that the next generation was equipped for what they're going to face when we're out of here. Because we will be out of here one of these days. And our time will be gone. Our moment. It's their moment. Let's, let's make sure their moment is strong. And he said he saw in this dream there was a man. And he was very strong and fit. And he'd been a great leader. And he was very athletic. And he just looked amazing, you know. Big, strong guy. But he died. And he said, in this dream, 
uh, everybody's at the funeral, and you and they were passing by his uh, they were passing by his coffin, and he's laying in, it, and he still looks amazing. He's big, strong, virile guy, you know. And everybody was going, "Wow, he was something else," you know. And they're passing by him, and there's young people passing by, and the young people begin to look in the coffin, and they reached in. And this man had a baton in his hand, but he had such a tight grip on it, the young people couldn't get it because he didn't want to let go of who he, he, he had been, see. It's not about us. It is not about us and what we want. It's about the kingdom of God and your place in that moment in time. And what can you do now? As a young person, as an older person, what can you do to make it strong and firm and support what God's doing in this hour? And they pride and they pride and they pride to get that out. And all the knowledge and all the strength and all the wisdom that was in that man died with him and went to the grave. That will not be me. And it should not be you. And in this church... Things have changed, and some of you know that. But it's supposed to change. That's the way God is. It's progressive. And in fact, I don't know what this means, but every, when I was in worship this morning, the Lord told me to tell you, Pastor Bruce, you're in chapter 2. Whatever that means, I have no idea. I don't know why it's not 1 or 3, but he said, you've moved into chapter 2. And be bold to go with it, because I'm blessing it. And God's bringing people in. We've got young people coming in, new families coming in. Why? Because God's drawing people together with gifts to help this church accomplish the mission and the vision that God put in it. And I adjure you, seek God to find out, what can I do that nobody else can do with my life, my gifts? Because if you're just waiting for a, a big uh, flash of lightning to strike you and go, thou shalt do this, it's not going to happen. It happens as you seek God and let him flow through you. And as you, as you seek him, he'll say, there's a need, go do that. You go take care of that need, it'll lead you to another one. And that's the way you find your way. Because it's not just about one person. It's about all of us in the body working, flowing together. And not being uh, the one that says, no, I... It, it, it's, my, it's still my time, and I'm going to hold on to it with all I've got. See, you, you, you can't do that. You do what needs to be done for the kingdom at wherever you are. So I, I admonish you this morning. As this church grows, there's going to be more and more and more and more places for you to fill to help this pastor and his wife and this staff get the work done. Because they're coming. They're coming. They're coming. Good. So God wants to use old people. God wants to use young people. But then there's the third category. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. What that's, what's that talking about? That's talking about the kids coming up. That's talking about the new generation. Now, here's the thing. The older people and the younger people, we're supposed to partner together. And we're supposed to uh, finance as part of it and lead and but also, we bring these kids along with us. Now, they don't have a lot to contribute. But we have a responsibility to reach the next generation. And that begins when they're babies in the nursery. 
And any church that's going to be viable and strong in the end times has got to have a powerful ministry to little kids. It's a big deal. It's real ministry. Uh, And listen, here's the way this thing works. God gives children to parents. So parents are the lead disciples of your kids. I think Trudy said this in the seminar, but the Jews have a saying. And it's so definitive of what we're supposed to do as we pass this down. If we as parents do not indelibly imprint the Word of God deep within the bones of our children, we are one generation away from extinction. That's a powerful statement. If we do not indelibly imprint, you see the commitment to that? The Word of God deep within the bones of our children. That's commitment. That means it's something you, that's why Sarah wrote this book on parenting. Because it's a big, big deal. Parents are the lead disciples, but we as the church, we are, we've got to make a place for them too. Because we are supposed to teach them and influence them as a church. And kids are a big, big deal. A lot of time we look at them and, well, they're little kids and they're sweet and they're cute and they are all that. But they can know Jesus on their level when they're little. It's a big, big deal. At our church, we have a saying. My son says from time to time, not every Sunday, but a lot of Sundays, he'll say, we lead with kids here in our church. We lead with kids. And I believe one of the big reasons God's blessed us is we have made a place for kids. We've invested in kids, which takes resources, takes money, and then people. It takes a lot of people to facilitate good kids ministry because it's work. The hardest work I will have done this morning is that dog skit I just went through. Because you have to get into their life on their level. But it's worth it. To invest in our kids is a big, big deal. We're responsible for doing that. The Jews believe in that. Jesus prophesied. You know, our church is running right now. It's really cool what's happening. We just bought a piece of land in Oklahoma City. And we're going to build a building. But in the meantime, we're going to be in a rental facility. We have for four years been doing setup and teardown in like a community center. And it's been a lot of work. We're about to get a permanent building. But in that, we've, uh, we, in, our, in our, you know, state, we've grown to 600 people. We do three services every Sunday morning. But one-third of our crowd is under the age of 12. We have about 200 kids. We had 15 babies in the nursery first service last week. And we draw young families because we make a place for kids. There's a couple that came to our church, and they were from another church, and they were looking for something deeper with God. I think that, that people, there's a hunger. There's a hunger a beginning right now in our culture. And they're looking for something deeper. They want more than just normal church. So they're checking out churches in Oklahoma City. So they visited our church. And this guy is in the oil and gas business, and he's an attorney. And then his wife is a doctor. So these are, you know, high-achieving people. They got two little kids. So they came to our church. They sat in our service. And our worship's, you know, pretty engaging, sort of like yours. And, uh, and then the pastor preaches real strongly. And so they're sitting there in church, and he leans over to his wife and said, I don't know if this is a place for us. It's pretty strong. But then they pick their little kids up. Well, they, they take their kids home, and the kids are talking about how great the service was and what happened. And then the next week, they're going to go check out another church. And their kids had a fit. No, we want to go back to that church. We love that church. So their kids pressured them to come back. And then they came back another time. And now they've been coming, I don't know, six weeks or so. And one day, they're, they're sitting in the service, and the husband leans over to the wife and said, I think this is our church. And she says, yes, this is where we're supposed to be. It took them a while, and the kids got it right away. 
kids' ministry will draw people. Amen. That's not the only reason we do it, but that's part of it. But then kids can really know Jesus. I'll give you a stat that I've preached for years, and it's so cool, I'm going to preach it again. Did you know 86% of people who serve God do so because they had some kind of encounter with Him when they were under the age of 15 years old? 86% under 15, right? Then from the ages of 15 to 30, the stats are 10% of people. Or in other words, if uh, you haven't heard from God between the ages of 15 to 30, before the ages of 15 to 30, you have a 10% shot. And after 30, you have a 4% shot you will ever get born again. Isn't that amazing? Why is that? Because what they learn as a child forms the foundation of their life. So what, what am I saying here? Let's wrap it up. God wants to do something amazing in our time. We're living in the times of the end. He wants to do this. The, the outpouring of the Spirit began with all three generations. The outpouring of the Spirit at the end will be all three generations. You have a part. You fit into one of those things we talked about. And we have a responsibility to step up and do what God's called us to do. And let me tell you what, you can do it. This weekend is about challenging you to step up to a new place of leadership to finding your place in the body we all have a place in the body we talked about that you are part of the mission and god has equipped you no matter how old you are no matter how young you are to fill your place now trudy had this vision i'm going to share her vision and i'm going to close with this and she said in this vision she saw a big stadium full of people like 60,000, 80,000 people. You know how a big football stadium would be. But there was a big track meet. It was like a world championship Olympic type event. And the people are in the stands and there's, there's big buzz because this is going to be like the big race of the evening. It's like the 100-yard dash. And so these are like the best runners are getting ready and they're warming up. And you know how that is. They're stretching and they're getting in the blocks and they're, they're taking off and they're, they're getting their bodies ready. They're getting their muscles loosened up and they're getting ready to run this tremendous race. So all the attention is on these runners. They're just about to run the race. But before they did, there's like this buzz that starts over in the corner of the stadium. And then the attention of the people all in the stands go to the corner of the stadium because out walks the champion. And this is the champion of all time. This is the greatest ever. And everybody, there's like a, <gasps> the wind sucked out of the place because here comes the champion and everybody steps back. And, on, you know, this is like if you were a football fan, this is like Tom Brady on steroids coming in. The goat, the greatest of all time. <laughs> And so all the runners look at this. And they're getting ready to run, but now here comes the champion. And they all just kind of went, forget it. I'm not going to run. Nobody can beat the champion. I mean, this is the champion. The champion was Jesus. But all the runners are standing there. And Jesus comes over, and he's got this arm full of medals, gold medals, with a ribbon on his, on his, on his arm. Am I telling this right? And he goes to the runners, and he begins to take these medals off. And put them on each runner. Takes the medal off. The, 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 the championship medal. The gold medal. And they kind of look at him like, what are you, what are you doing? You, you, you're giving us a, we, we haven't run a race. And Jesus said, uh, first he told them, I, I, I left this out. They looked at him and said, we can't, we can't run against you. You're the best. And he said, well, I'm not running this race. 
This is not my race. This is your race. I ran my race. Isn't it amazing to think that Jesus ran the race? He ran his race. He was born. He lived. He relates totally to what you're going through. But he's putting the medals on each one. And they're confused. Why are you putting the medal on us? We haven't run. He says, here's why I am. Because before you run, I crown you. You're a winner before you even take off. You have already won because I won for you. And now you just walk it out. And you have what it takes. And I want to tell you this morning, you have what it takes. You have what it takes for this time, for your situation, for the challenges you face in your family, on your job. You have what it takes. You have what it takes to do this assignment during this time. You have been pliable. You have been bendable. You have been willing to change, to reach more, and to do more. And I see that, says the Lord, and I will direct you. I will surely direct you. I have directed you, but there's more coming. There's more coming. And more is more wisdom more knowledge, but more people are coming to facilitate what I've called you to do. And surely it will happen. So be glad and rejoice, for surely I will accomplish for this body what I have called you to do in the name of Jesus. Let's praise the Lord for a minute. Lord, we thank you. Lord, I've done the best I could. Stir people up about where we are, about who they are, who they are in you. We're champions we are, we are more than conquerors, the Scripture said, through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. That's who we are. And this morning, we rise up in our faith. We don't hold back to fulfill our position. Not something weird or off the, off the, off the table or something strange. I'm talking about wherever we are right now. This is our time for this time, for this place. And Lord, we receive that mission by faith in Jesus' name. Would everybody stand to your feet? Stand to your feet with me. Praise God. Go ahead and play, brother. Play something. Lord, we worship you. We love you. We praise you. Let's just thank you for a minute. Would you do that? Can you sense that this morning? Can you sense what I'm sensing? What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. What a time. What a time. What a time. Lord, we praise you. 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 Glory to God. We honor your presence, Jesus. Just like that day when the Holy Spirit was poured out in your presence, the Holy Spirit came back and, we, and people were changed. We honor that same presence right now. Hallelujah. Now, don't, any, don't everybody be quiet for just a minute. If there's anybody here this morning you don't know Jesus, church is all about us coming back to ground level and getting right with God and I don't know everybody but I don't want to assume that you just come in here and everything's good with you and God it may not be and it's serious if it's not you need to be right with God when you leave today and the way you do that is you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you was raised from the dead and wants to change your life change your heart so let's pray this all together everybody with me say this Heavenly Father thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast if you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast and remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.